Welcome, everybody, to the uh, the first edition of the, the weekly Predlines podcast. I'm uh, Michael Wade. You may know me as one of the contributors on Predlines.com, and uh, hopefully everyone listening can can sympathize me uh, with me here a little bit. I'm, I'm sort of sitting virtually in between my two bosses uh, in, in the co-experts of the site. Um, we'll, uh, we'll use some seniority here. So, Corey, why don't you... Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know this this past weekend and, and maybe some of the hockey you've uh, you've been paying attention to? All right. Uh, well, the hockey I've been paying attention to has mostly been all the Pred stuff. Uh, by the way, I'm Corey Francis, the uh, side expert or one of the side experts for Predlines here, Predlines.com. Um, uh, my hockey experiences um, are really from the Atlanta Thrashers and a couple St. Louis Blues games, uh, but a big fan of the Predators now that I'm living in Nashville and everything. Um, just really been paying attention to the Predators and how they play on the road. That's been my biggest thing lately, but I'm sure we'll get into that soon. Yeah, just uh, another another day in the life of the incons- one of the more inconsistent teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, with that, uh, I'll turn it over to our, our younger co-expert of the site, uh, George. How's it been going, man? Uh, life is life is pretty good. Um, there still is no sun after uh, the Merrick Verstuschinski podcast has has gone away from my life, but uh, <laughs> but I'm uh, I'm soldiering on. Uh, just speaking about the those Atlanta Thrasher games, I I don't know if you know about this, Corey, but there's this great new podcast out, and I don't want to plug another one, but uh, uh, <laughs> by Craig Custins called the Full Sixty, and he he just had Ray Ferraro on to talk oh, about wow, the, yeah. the Atlanta Thrashers. It was it's a very fun you know hour listen. Uh, but you should listen to our podcast first. Everyone else that's listening, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, thanks I've, for joining us and, and check out. Yeah, this don't other. press stop on this one and then go to the other one. Okay, you got to finish this one yeah. first. Yeah, um, but yeah. Anyways, I'm a lifelong uh, hockey fan. Grew up in California. Was a, was a Sharks fan. Had that almost beaten out of me. Um, but uh, you know, we're, uh, we're we're moving along. Just just loving hockey still. Yeah, and. and and speaking of uh, maybe some tough, tough times this past week, uh, in my opinion, a sort of a disappointing one with the three games, uh, the the two home games against the the Flames and then the Islanders, and then the on the road against Chicago. Uh, really, I would have liked to see five, maybe even six points out of this week, and and we walked away with three. So uh, somewhat disappointing, but um, as I mentioned, you know, it's it's just sort of the way it goes, and. Uh, as, the, as the predators continue their sort of inconsistent path, um, at, at this, at the point of me speaking, and this will probably, this might change by the time you listen to this, but the uh, the predators are in fifth place in the central. Um, that said, there are currently five teams with 12 points, uh, so um, obviously a lot of mobility there uh, with with you know any number of games that are played. Uh, they were, I believe, as high as second this week. Um, which is, you know, I, th- I think a little more close to what we'd expect. Although with the the way they've been playing uh, recently, uh, maybe not so much. Um, Corey, you know, I I'm disappointed with the week. It is did, do you have a kind of a similar reaction? Were there maybe some thing, some positives you took away from it, or was it all just sort of uh, a little less than expectations? You know, I guess the one main positive we all probably have is just the fact that they performed as well as they did in Chicago. Um, you know, take coming away with the win after going up there earlier in the month and uh, coming away with a you know an overtime loss. <laughs> Excuse me, but what really boggles my mind is how they performed in the, the the latter parts of the game versus the Flyers, and how that even got to uh, not the Flyers, the Flames. How that even got to. Flames, um, yeah. I'm reading so many different things here, but when we played the Flames, and how it even got to a point where we had to go to a shootout. Like even done overtime, why do we have a two goal lead and then wind up losing the game? That's, that's that inconsistency the team's playing with is really bothersome for me so far. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, the Flames. Um, I was I was at that game and feeling very good after period number one. It's sort of the opposite of what I'm used to. I'm, I'm used to the Preds being very poor off the bat and then getting better as the game went on. But that was the opposite situation. Really, that shootout should have never happened. To, right. The Preds really missed a couple of really just wide open chances. You know, Fiala was was really the big one, just had a wide open net and kind of overthought it. I think a little bit. Um, yeah, so that's um, luckily it's that's that's kind of one of those games I think where you just you take solace in the fact that it's a very long season and, and some of those issues probably will get worked out. 
Um, but yeah, I, I really was hoping and, and expecting two points out of that game, and to lose in the shootout is, is very disappointing. Uh, George, you tend to be a little more critical of the Predators <laughs> than I think either Corey and I are. Uh, so We're just nicer people than us, George. Um, yeah, well, that's that's, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Uh, George, what did you notice out of this week, uh, just kind of the three games in general? Uh, poor sloppy defense in their own zone for the most part. Um, that, that was the big thing that stuck out to me, especially in front of their own net. And we can kind of talk about what what made it happen. A lot of people are going to say that the defense isn't tough enough to handle their own in front of the net. But the fact is, is that uh, teams like the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and even like the Toronto Maple Leafs do a good job of clearing their own net with smaller, less physical defensemen. Uh, I know Alexi Emlin was kind of brought in to be that bulldozing guy, but he's really looked flat-footed. Not only just kind of like skating and on the rush, but... Even in front of his own net, he's kind of looked like he hasn't been able to, to really either intercept passes or get in lanes or anything. And that was that was uh, best uh, best demonstrated in I believe it was the Rangers game actually, and that on that second goal. I know that was like a week ago, but still, um, yeah. This the, the biggest thing is uh, is is that net front defense and their inability to take away sticks and take away passing lanes and shooting lanes. And it's ultimately going to cost them because right now Pecorini is on fire. He's there's no other way to put it. He's playing out of his mind. And then you get a goalie who's a little bit, who's definitely more down to earth and who maybe actually be who is underperforming like UC Saros and you know he's getting chased. Um, I don't want to I don't, I don't want to turn this into a, a hill to die on with UC Saros, but I think that the Predators need to send him down to to Milwaukee not because he kind of deserves it. But because he needs to be away from this from this defense for a little while, he needs to let this defense kind of figure itself out in front of the, front of its own uh, net. And if you look at like the games he's played, a lot of people are going to talk about that, uh, where he's I think they've uh, teams have scored on average four goals against. I wanted mm-hmm. to take a look at the games where they've uh, uh, how many goals that the Predators have scored. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, I think I guess those, we can mm-hmm. go ahead. I think uh, yeah, I, I th- it's just I think that. Uh, you know the Predators aren't scoring goals in front of Saros, and that's that's hurting him. And then when he can't make that diving athletic save that Pecorino can, it can it really you know bites them, it really bites the Predators, and they kind of you know it puts them down. And I know this team's a little bit used to playing down, but it's it's not good. Yeah, that was. I mean, my specific concern coming out of the week's games was was not with the goaltending or even the scoring issues. It was really just the how puzzled I am by this defense. On paper, obviously, one of the, one of the best uh, just, you know, groups of defensemen in the league. And it's it, kind of the same situation I remember a lot from last year during the regular season. It seemed like when when the whole team was playing badly, you could almost all, always source it back to just poor defense, sloppy defense. And it's it's kind of mind-numbing, honestly, when you, when you just see the names that are out on the ice for the Predators and on the defense and and yet they're still having trouble keeping things tight and and you know even just having crisp clean zone exits can be can really be a chore on some nights um that was kind of the one thing that truly concerned me about this week obviously like you know you you talk about some you know you need to close the game and uh, with with calgary in town and I don't really know what happened against the Islanders, but you know those things can can sort of be fixed throughout the season. But the, the the real concern for me, if there is one, is just kind of how often this defense looks lost. Um, and I don't know, Corey. Do you think it's it's kind of like a, a, an issue with the pairings themselves? Like maybe they need to to try to figure out who has better chemistry. Um, do we just need to give it time? I mean, you know, do, do you have kind of a take on on what how we can expect this defense to improve? You know, part of it, I think, is just the building of chemistry because we're you're dealing with parts that are moving around compared to what they were last year. I mean, obviously, the Ryan Ellis thing, we know that's not going to go away anytime soon. He's injured. He's coming back later. So we're still dealing with, you know, building chemistry b- between a few players. And then he's going to come back in and change things up potentially. So I think there's an a- there is an asset management thing here as well, which I know we'll get into talking about, you know, the fact why did Gerard play? at some games and some, and not some others. And that's a whole other topic, but you know, it makes me wonder they don't perform well on in five on five situations, but they're one of the best penalty penalty killing teams in the West. So why are they not? Why, why is it when their backs are against the wall and they're on the, they have to be extra on extra alert during like a power play. 
why are they so good then but not as good later it's 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 a mentality thing i think is part of it as well uh, maybe they're hoping that the forwards are going to pick him up and score some goals or something there, there's just a mix of things here. Yes, part chemistry, but there's a mentality there that it's just they're just not comfortable. They're just not sure um, how the forwards are going to go. Because I mean, we we haven't had a, we've had some goals, but we haven't had a lot of goals in five on five situations. And again, we're going. I know we're going to get into that probably a little bit later on too. But it's just there's a mentality here that's just they are unsure what to expect from the forwards. I think. Yeah, I, I like the phrase you use where you say they're not comfortable. That's a phrase I've used actually to describe specifically Alexi Emelin. That was kind of my – he's had a couple games where I thought he really kind of rose to the challenge and, mm-hmm. and looked uh, played well. Um, but a lot of the times I would describe his play as he doesn't seem comfortable. And, and that's not – you know, I, I sort of can comfort myself. I remember – kind of early in last season P.K. Subban even looked a little lost at times and I think it, it just obviously takes time right. to figure out kind of a new system um, so I'm hopeful with Emelin the, the issue I have with Emelin is obviously he doesn't have the the skill set that someone like P.K. Subban does so it's going to really be a, an issue of who who the team can pair him with mm-hmm. um, and, and try to mitigate some of his weaknesses while also you know, using kind of his physicality and, and size uh, to their advantage. Um, and, and I was, you know, it's disappointing, again, speaking about Emelin specifically, I thought he was kind of improving slowly, and then I thought this week was, and, and George, I know you mentioned the Rangers game uh, a little over a week ago that was just like, you know, it just looked really bad, and you wonder if maybe he's regressing a little bit. So it's definitely a shaky start from some of the individuals there on defense. And that's an interesting uh, point you bring up, Corey, too, about the the even strength versus the um, the man advantage obviously coming the other way. You know, you wonder if maybe be- because this defense excels at its scoring ability and its ability to generate offense, you wonder if maybe that's kind of their downfall as well. If they're they're not focusing enough on on securing their own zone and they're trying too much to kind of get ahead and 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 make their way down the ice. Um, yeah, but. It's you know this is a good a good time to mention the the Sam Girard thing and, and George I know you've been particularly frustrated about the kind of the the wishy washy treatment of, of Sam Girard and, and when he's uh, you know activated and when he's not so you know do you, do you can you give us any kind of educated guesses for example as to why he would have played in Chicago but not against the Islanders uh, I just, just kind of want to start this off with a saying that I've heard throughout sports in general and that. If you're at home and you want to be in sports management or just in sports in general, don't give up on your dreams. Do you see the kind of people that are running teams today <laughs> and the decision that they're making? <laughs> you can, you can do it. Mean. <laughs> you can do it. Um, I see a motivational poster coming our way soon. <laughs> yeah. um, as, far as, as far as that goes, I really liked the decision to, to start Gerard in Chicago. I thought he earned it. I thought he deserved it. It, it was a little interesting to see that uh, to see him paired with Yossi to start off with uh, because I thought that that was a very offensively focused line and that probably wouldn't be great in their own defensive zone. No offense to Yossi, but I don't think he's good enough to defend for both of them. Uh, and, and then when they, you know, surprise, surprise, when they didn't get sheltered minutes, uh, it kind of went downhill and Gerard had to be moved. I mean, you in the first period, I clearly saw uh, the t- Jonathan Tay's line being matched up against uh, Gerard and Yossi consistently and you know, as much as I kind of, as much as I don't think that uh, Jonathan Taze is as good as everyone gave him credit for a couple years ago, he's still an elite player in the league today. So, you know, he was giving, he was definitely giving him fits. Um, as far as, uh, as far as, but as, as that game went on, we saw some line changes, especially in the offense, but we'll get to that later. Um, I saw Gerard with Yannick Weber, which I thought was a very odd pairing, um, just because Yannick Weber is a little bit of a, a little bit of a lame duck, I guess you could say. Just right. he doesn't really make an impact in the offensive zone, and he doesn't really make a huge impact in his defensive zone. Um, and I was a little worried to see that. And then to kind of, and then you know, after Gerard had a good game, not a great game by any stretch of the imagination. His possession numbers weren't great. He was consistently being uh, hard line or hard matched with Jonathan Taze or Patrick Kane. And then to kind of see, you know, kind of go up against the Islanders, who are a much shallower team, and who aren't very good just in, you know, 
just as a team, I was a little curious to see that he actually got sat in favor of Anthony Potato, who kind of like Yannick Weber is just not as good. Right. And I, I don't know. And I kind of want to back up on this real quick too, just just to say this, you know, in Chicago, I know it's back to back night, so that may be not ideal for a 19 year old player, but he only played about nine minutes. Gerard only played about nine minutes in Chicago and, but his course, he was a 36, 36. So I wonder if they were just worried that there may be a little regression there. Maybe they're concerned about bringing him on too quickly. I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I, I, it's just something to think about as well. And just the, you know, he only played nine minutes, but his, his possession stats weren't fantastic either. Yeah. And I definitely agree. Um, I, I did. I think I said that he didn't have a great game and right. But what it comes down to is I've been I've been banging the drum forever now, like play Gerard, and then when they finally do play Gerard, it's not in a very favorable, uh, it's it's not a favorable kind of matchup or situation, and I wonder how that's going to be going forward for guys like Emil Peterson or uh, Vladislav Kamenev or even uh, Dante Fabro when he comes up. You know, are these guys just kind of going to get thrown to the fire and you know and say like, well, we don't see what we want out of you, we're just going to sit you for a week at a time, and that's another thing. It's so hard to kind of get a rhythm going when you're only getting played. Once every week or week and a half or so. Right. If if I could if I could have things my way, I probably would have. I mean, I would have played him both. Uh, I would have played Gerard both games, but I probably would. If I had to sit him one, I would have sat him against the Blackhawks, just because there were much more favorable matchups. You could kind of hard match him uh, in the Islanders game to the third line and like Cal Clutterbuck on the fourth line, and you could have really used him to a better extent. One of the other things I haven't really seen is him with PK Subban. And I really liked, I really really liked um, Yossi and Ekholm as a line, and I kind of want to keep that together while while Ryan else is out. But why why not just play PK Subban with with Samuel Gerrard? Subban has consistently matched his game around who he's paired with, and when he was with Ekholm, he was a little bit more offensive, but he knew that he had to be, uh, you know, he was in a shutdown role. When he's with Emlyn, he jumps into the play hyperactively, and he can be a little. Uh, negligent of his defensive responsibilities at times, and so if you play with someone like Samuel Samuel Gerard, who's much more def- uh, offensively inclined and maybe doesn't have his defenses his defense down as much, you know we might see PK Subban kind of go into that Ekholm esque ro- uh, role, and I think that's kind of being neglected at this point. I think PK Subban could do a really good job of that. One of the things that I keep repeating about Sam Gerard when I do get to see him play is, is just the word confidence. The kid, like, if if you didn't know that he was so young, I wouldn't. If I didn't know that watching, I don't think anything about his game would necessarily scream his inexperience to me. Yes, he makes some mistakes, and obviously he's going to have to work on on really the you know his back checking and his, his you know kind of shutting down uh, you know the the Preds zone. But when I see him frequently going to the, into the boards with Jonathan Taves in Chicago, you know he doesn't look like he's afraid of any challenge. Um, and, you know, obviously you mentioned some of the issue, you know, his numbers uh, weren't exceptional, uh, certainly in, in that Chicago game. Um, but just from kind of the good old fashioned eye test, just me watching the game, I once again was very impressed um, by just kind of the his aggression and his confidence. I mean, he's he is there to try to impact the game. And I, I think that is something that is, is so, sort of lacking on this team right now is there's only a handful of players every night that seem to really be interested in kind of controlling the game. And I, you know, maybe just because he's been sort of, uh, you know, he hasn't had as many, as many opportunities as we all think perhaps he should have, uh, you know, when he does get those chances, he seems to really be going for it. Um, but I, you know, Corey, to your point about, you know, the back to back, if, if the concern to me is, is just, playing him two nights in a row, I, I really don't know why you wouldn't choose the Islanders game and, and just, again, try to sort of ease him into this. Absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, it's never easy, obviously, to go into Chicago, you know, 19 years old, and, and you're being <laughs> you're being matched against, you know, Taves and Brandon Saad and these kind of guys. And, yeah, so it once again, we just see yet another week of sort of puzzling personnel choices, especially with Sam Girard. Um, and then... <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm with both of you, I think, on, on the Yannick Weber situation. I, I have yet to see anything from, from Weber that's really that impressive, um, especially when you see a guy like Matt Irwin, who maybe we didn't expect as much out of either. He seems to really be stepping up to that uh, kind of fifth or sixth defenseman role, um, and he's been impressive. So 
I think the maybe just a week or two more, hopefully, and they'll figure out kind of this, these personnel issues and, and figure out how to get their best team on the ice every night. Um, obviously, it seems like the team is a little concerned with Girard's contract situation, and obviously, you know the nine the the cursed nine game rule that everyone keeps talking about. But frankly, I I'd like to just see him get played. Um, it's not like this team is is excelling right now, and you know. I, I still would like to see them trying to sort of figure out where to find improvement. Um, and if, if it's going to come from a 19-year-old uh, you know kid, then, heck, I've, so far I've been impressed with him. Well, can we all agree that he should play more than nine games? I mean, I just from what I've seen from Irwin, Weber, Boteto, and whoever else they want to trot out on that bottom three, my, uh, Alexi Emlin, I just I don't see anything good there going on. Like I in quite possibly I think they're stalling his development and people want to talk about having him around the team and around a winning culture that quite frankly I don't know that this culture is what you want him around at this point. I mean I get it that they're that they're still five four and one or whatever it is but I don't know that's that's not exactly awesome. I don't know if I want him around a team that gets their you know their butt handed to him every night five on five. Like this, I don't know. Just play the kid and help his development shelter him or just send him down and let him play in in junior and then let him get his couple games in the AHL when that season ends like it's it, this is their, their poor asset management is going to kill the predators and I'm a little scared how they're going to handle Fabro and how they're going to handle uh how they're going to handle Carrier and Kamenev and all those guys and even even Tolvin and they need to make the decision now like you just said it needs to be like we either we're going to play in the nine games or we're going to sit him because it, when Ellis gets back, they have another decision to make. And who, what's going to make the team better? Is it going to be having uh, Yannick Weber on the team or Samuel Girard on the team? I mean, they, they need to make that decision now. It's, it's getting a little bit ridiculous. Uh, play the nine games. Play more than the nine games. Keep him on the Predators. He's, he's done enough in my eyes over the last two seasons. Well, this season in particular, but going through the preseason last year, the preseason this year, Excuse me. He's done enough to warrant being on the team full time. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and, and I think George, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I, I could definitely see the perspective of, of. I guess my take on it, um, other than just play him, if I thought about kind of the other flip side of that, sort of the, the devil's advocate, if you will, was in my opinion this team is set up to be very good for the next few years, at least probably I'd say three or four more years. And so in that sense, to me, it did make sense to perhaps make the team friendly decision in terms of cap and, and just put him, put him back down uh, in Quebec. It's not going to be a good, a good thing for Girard Cause I, I think we can all agree that the NHL is going to be a much better development tool than the QMJHL. <laughs> I think it pretty much goes without saying. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, you know, if, if the team is going to be good, can be good and succeed in, in his absence, I w- it makes sense to hold off on really fully introducing him. That said, that was a couple weeks ago, and in the game since, we've obviously seen some of the struggles the Predators have had. You know, and, and it's obviously what I think they just played maybe game 10 out of 82, something along those lines. So. Yeah, they're at 11. 11 yeah. out of yeah so and I think you know I there's it's just so early to make these decisions but I, I agree with you Corey it, this this per, this particular decision about Sam Girard I think needs to happen now I think it'll be the best end up being the best for everyone involved if they just make a decision keep it and at this point I'm, I'd frankly be happy if that was just to keep him up in in the the big leagues as you might say well if you I kind of want to look a little ahead to the future just with because everyone says you know keep him in the queue and then we'll get three years out of him next year. If he if he plays more than nine games this year, he will be up in twenty twenty one, or yeah, twenty twenty one. And the players that will need to be resigned in that year is Freddie Goudreau, Austin Watson, uh, and Craig Smith and Roman Yossi. I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but Craig Smith's gone. I I mean, unless he comes on the sweetest of sweetheart deals, we can probably say Craig Smith's gone. Austin Watson will be 28 or 29 by then, and he'll be making he'll be coming off a 1.1. I don't know if he'll necessarily make more than that. I don't think the Predators would offer him more than that. Goudreau will need to be re-signed, but from what I've seen of Goudreau, he's a bottom six guy, and I don't think there's exactly a lot of potential there. 
Um, the other things that are coming off is you have Alexi Emlin's 2.9 coming off the books after this year. Uh, by 2020, you'll have 1.6 million coming off the books in Victor Stahlberg's buyout. You'll have a million dollars coming off in Eric Nystrom's buyout, and you'll have uh, $600,000 coming off in J- Barrett Jackman's buyout. Even if you didn't, even if you re-signed everyone to the same contract that you were then, or that, that's on right now, just losing that uh, 2.6 or even I think it's like three, all in total, like three million dollars, you could easily sign uh, uh, Samuel Gerard. Just what it, what is now, and let's be honest, like there's there's a lot of rumors going around that the cap's going to be rising about five million dollars either this year or next. I I don't know. This, I I say play him. I I don't know. I keep we keep looking ahead to the future, but it's so who knows? David Poyle might not even be the GM in, in three years. Well, and the Predators have been one of the most physically responsible teams, organizations in the NHL. I mean, even just a couple years ago, they were ten million dollars under the cap. When they, you know, when the season started, and I think they're what three or the thing they're three or four under the cap this year. They're not using yeah, all the, five. yeah, they're not they're not using all the all the space they have, and they've got players locked up for five six years. So, yeah, we can look in the future a bit and say Gerard's going to be on the team. This person may not. You know, we need to. They need to go in and start thinking about instead of just this season. They need to think about the years to come. And it can't just be about this year in terms of we've got to make the playoffs, we've got to make another run in the Stanley Cup. They got to think long term and keep building this franchise for comp- competition and competing for that Stanley Cup every year. That's what the team needs to be. It can't just be oh we'll make the playoffs. It's got to be we've been to the Stanley Cup. We want to get back there regularly. And that, and Gerard I think would be the best option for that. But that's a, you know that's just my opinion. Yeah, the only issue with that is that this at this point in time the Predators are not winning as much as people would like. So obviously <laughs> everyone's going to start right. Know, the rumor mill is going to start churning. And frankly, I would like to see the guy play. I'd like to see Girard in the lineup. You know, ninety percent of the games. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, obviously the team is still hasn't really made that decision. Um, but hopefully, hopefully for everyone's sake, you know, that decision will come sooner rather than later. I do want to transition. We we talked about the defense for a good while. On the offensive side of things, the Predators have been okay. Um, in fact, their their power play, for example, I believe is a top five in the NHL at this point. Am I correct in saying that? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 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 so that you know that's great, except for the fact that it's not really being matched with the five on five. Um, at this point, we are uh, the the Predators have uh, twelve goals. Uh, Four and 17 goals against um, in five-on-five five situations, which is actually the lowest number of goals for in the NHL at five-on-five. Five. Um, and then you compare it to when you add in the, the um, odd man situations, you have 27 goals for. Um, so that jumps, you know, it's more than twice as many goals if you if you start considering power plays and, and even the, the few shorthanded chances. So is that, I think, for me, that's been an offensive issue. Um the Predators obviously are known for their their scoring defense, but it, it needs to – obviously the offensive production has got to come from the forwards primarily, and, and I haven't seen it yet, uh, with the exception of perhaps Will Forsberg, um, although he's he's cooled off a little bit uh, recently, which I think we all expected. Um, so one, one thing that, I th- that they've seemed to – the Predators have tried is uh, the other night they played that, that uh, top line – Instead of the, uh, the much beloved Jofa line, they they made <laughs> made the Joff line, uh, the uh, <laughs> uh, Johansson, Forsberg, and Fiala, the Joff line. Um, there, just some just a quick overview. The uh, the Joff lines five on five Corsi was the sixty one point one percent, which is excellent. Although that is a very small sample size um, compared to the Jofa Corsi, uh, which was fifty eight point seven at five on five. Um, which seemed to be much more sustained, uh, obviously with with more more games. Uh, George, do you? This is something I had suggested a little while ago. I, I wanted to see Fiala maybe on that top line just to get his scoring going. Is this something that you think uh, was this a good decision? And, and were you impressed enough by the outcome, or or is this not enough? I was. I'm a little. I'm a little confused, just kind of on the inside about it, uh, just because my thoughts on the NHL is just. You know, never break up a good thing if it's still going. 
Uh, and the Jofa line is a good thing, and it was still going, and I think it still will go. I don't. I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't think that Arvidsson is the straw that stirs the drink on the Jofa line, and I think while he's okay, I don't losing him. I don't think is going to hurt Johansson and Forsberg as much as we think it might. I I'm I'm happy that they are spreading the love a little bit, and I'm really happy that Kevin Fiala is getting a shot on the first line. The, the poor guy's just been so snakebitten. I wrote an article today on him actually, and. It goes through a lot of his possession stats and how he's actually doing a, a great job and how he's actually one of the better possession drivers on the team. And even though he's played with some negative, uh, some negative possession players, he's consistently, uh, yeah, consistently posted like a 56 uh, course here, like a 57 Fenwick. Uh, the guy's incredible at five on five play too. He just can't score to save his life. Um, and you, you have to hope that'll change. You have to think that it will. Uh, his, his on his five on five PDO is like 93%. And he's getting like an 89 uh, save percentage. And he's only his team while he's on the ice is only shooting at a 3.64%, which is six points below the average. So the guy's just snake bin. He's just he has bad luck. He, you know, he, he stumbled across a black cat or whatever. But man, he's I, I really I like him on that first line um, quite a bit. The second line is a little curious to me. Um just because when they did change up the third line uh, in the game against Chicago, or that second line in the game against Chicago, and it turned into the Yarncroc, 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 Aberg, and uh, and Arvidsson line, they went on a tear. And just in that third period alone, they posted like a seventy Corsi as a line. I mean, they were they were just driving possession all over the place, and they had a couple good chances to boot. Uh, and then against the Islanders. They were they just didn't perform that well, but there's actually there was some underlying numbers that I, that was very interesting. Uh, they only played five minutes at five on five that night as a line, and actually, yeah, the, the Victor Arvidsson had the most playing time at five on five with five minutes and forty five seconds. I mean, that's how can you expect the line to get going if you're only playing them on five on five for for five minutes? Yeah, that's that's hardly any time at all. Yeah, you know, you got to develop chemistry. You got to give them time to actually you know develop a, a system. You got to let them just play their game and grind defenses down, and they never got the chance to. Uh, yeah, I I like it. I think it's a good move. Although all it's going to take is like another game where the Predators, you know, are are down one nothing or two one and. It's back to the Jofa line for a while. Yeah, I mean, they're just all reliable at this point. <laughs> um, obviously, you see that, you know, when you, when you get to the power play and it's just Jofa and then, and then a couple extras, but uh, that's definitely the, the line that, that will get this team going if they need it. Um, yeah, the, the, the issue with, I mean, obviously, I think we can expect more out of Fiala. Um, the poor guy just cannot buy a goal. And that's why I was really a proponent of bringing him up to this line just because I thought, even temporarily, I thought that, the you know, with him next to, you know, a center like Ryan Johansson would really, I mean, that's, you know, I figure Johansson can create the play and uh, maybe Fiala can get a couple of goals and get his confidence up and then and then he can go back maybe to that second line um, and, and bring that kind of that newfound confidence. Because at the at this point, it, you know, it's, it's starting to look like he's never going to score again. Which, uh, you know, I think we could all we could all say is is much lower than expectations for Kevin Fiala. Um, yeah, they should have. Uh, they, yeah, they should so, have exposed yeah. him in the expansion draft and Kevin. Oh my God! That's not even that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, I do think I, I do think part of it is also just. We're the same thing we're dealing with on the defense that there's just not this consistent lineup of of people that are playing game in and game out. They're not they're with that second line. You know, we were kind of hoping Benino would be in there, but you know he's been injured and it's been worse than we what we thought. So he's been he's out for a while. Hopefully he comes back in soon. So now we're mix matching. You know, Craig Smith and Scott Hartnell, and then we're trying to put Fiala in there, and then maybe Auberg, and like it's it's a patchwork second line. And I think for me. I want to see some consistency out of just the people being played there. If it's going to be Yarncroc and, and whoever else there, fine. Let them be there for a while. Let them be there for several games in a row and kind of see how it goes. You can't keep having these, these very small sample sizes. 
of things. You've got to use the eye test. You've got to watch things happen. And sometimes the stats don't show what really is happening on the ice. It, you know, you, you see these things like what we talked about Emelin earlier in the game against the, the Rangers. Well, you know, a couple of those plays where he was, it kind of looked bad on him was also when Ryan Johansson wasn't uh, covering anybody on a, on a shorthanded opportunity. So, it, you know, there's, there's, you have to look at the whole thing. And, and I think that second line is just so patchwork right now. It's just hard to get any consistency. And when you're not consistent there, then you're not going to be consistent with the third line either. Cause you're moving parts in and out as well. Um, you know, there needs to be some, some better lineups here for that second line in particular. I don't, I think I, this may not be correct anymore. It was, it was correct about a week ago. I think most of our, most of the predators offensive production has been coming from the first and third lines. Which is strange because it's yeah it seemed like that second line just wasn't for whatever reason they weren't getting it going but I think uh, especially in Philadelphia um, that one nothing game the Sissons line I think he was on that third line and they were really the ones driving that game um, but yeah you you definitely like to see that more from the second line as well and I'm definitely a proponent of just kind of you know it, p- putting putting players in their positions and then just kind of riding out the adjustment period, just accepting that it's going to take a little while to develop that chemistry and just understand that that's the cost um, to hopefully an end, an end goal that is much better. Um, but yeah, it seems like they're sort of panicking a little bit right now and kind of frantically moving guys around, bringing the uh, the old blender in there and, and changing the lines up. Um, and, and I agree, I don't think that's going necessarily conducive for the long-term success of any of these players. Well, and then you're looking at the, the games that are coming up, you know, the next... I think between now and November 15th, they're playing teams with a winning percentage overall of uh, 600. Um, if I did the stats earlier today, I was working on a post earlier today, and I think it was they were 39 and 22 and 3, something like that combined win-loss total between the next five teams they play. And you want to make sure you have some sort of consistency and chemistry built before you go in and play the L.A. Kings, who are probably the best team in the NHL right now, at least the best team in the West, in my opinion. Before you go to L.A. and play them on the road, you want you want to have some consistency there. So, uh, you know, that we talked about asset management, asset management before. I think there's still an issue with that on the offensive side as well. Yeah, certainly. Um, George... I guess this this may not be a fair question to ask you, so I do apologize. But it, give me your you, the, the the top six. Uh, break it into two lines, and and what 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 would be the first and second line that you would like to see? Well, the only issue I really have with this is: do I put Duchesne or Galchenyuk in at second line? Seven? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're yeah, those guys are never coming. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I people keep saying Nick Benino, but. You, the Predator signed a third line guy that rode that rode Phil Kessel's coattails to thirty nine points. Like I, as soon as he was taken, as soon as Kessel was taken off the the HBK line, that line turned to dust like immediately. Um, I don't know. I probably put Yarnkrok uh, in at second and second line center, and I'm going to catch a lot of hate for that. I think Yarnkrok's a more proven center. I think that he's a much better defensively center. He is a jack of all trades. He plays penalty kill. He can he can play power play. Although I think that the pairs are kind of figuring out that Fiala and Hartnell are probably better suited to do so. And you got to remember that Yarnkrog yeah, has also been pretty snake bitten too. He's I think his team is shooting. At, I think yeah. Well, he's on ice. He's shooting at something like a <laughs> at like a five percent or whatever. He's a really yeah. good player, and I, I really like him. Uh, I but I mean everyone knows this. I have a very soft spot in my heart for defensively oriented centers. We saw it in on the Chicago game. He was matching, um, he he was matching the Kane line. It was very interesting to see that deployment because I remember we seeing uh, Sissons or the Sissons line, which was the fourth line at this point, on the ice against the Patrick Kane line, and they were in the offensive zone. They took a face off, and Sissons went right off for Yarnkrok. It was or Yarnkrok. It was one of the most interesting things I'd seen that night, and. That kind of tells you how much Live Light actually trusts uh, Yarncroak over a, a lot of the other guys. No offense to Colton Sissons or even Freddie Goudreau, but they don't have the defensive fortitude to take on Patrick Kane or to take on uh, Jonathan Taze. And to his to Yarncroak's credit, uh, he didn't allow or when he was on the ice, no one scored a goal uh, while he I think, potted one himself. Um, I just pulled up the stat, and on five on five, 
Yarn Croak's run a pretty high Corsi of 95.4 with a 2.7 shooting percentage. I mean, yeah, this is... I don't know. I People... He gets an unfair shake because people saw James Neal shooting at an almost 50% shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah. And I just keep coming back to the... Totally sustainable. Oh, yeah, totally. I keep coming back to the fact that, like, I understand that you want to have James Neal scoring back, but how does that help the National Predator center position? Because at the time, they hadn't signed Nick Benino, and at the time, Mike Fisher hadn't announced his retirement. But let's not pretend like Mike Fisher and David Poyle or the National Predators in general just weren't in constant communication about it. I imagine that he had that, you know, as a, kind of like a parting gift, Mike Fisher told him, like, hey, I'm probably going to retire. You should probably keep a center. And I, I think they made the right call. I think Aaron Crocs a much better uh, depth piece. I think he's much more useful. And, you know, he provides something that the Predators don't really have in on their forward group. I don't mean to uh, deviate from the Predators, but the Arizona Coyotes just now won a game. <laughs> All <laughs> they right. just won in overtime in Philadelphia. The goal went in, and I, it was hard for me to stay silent. I really wanted to cheer. <laughs> oh, my God, it went to overtime. <laughs> Oh yeah, they they almost lost another one. They were they, they were pull out the win. they were up three to nothing. Holy smokes! All right, well, yeah, that's, that's enough Coyotes. Uh, anyway, um, another this this is something that it's kind of a a controversial subject at the at the point at this point, mostly just because it's so fresh on everybody's mind. Um, UC Saros is zero and three um, uh, this season. He, I thought, he looked. I mean, you can't really judge him based on the Pittsburgh game. I don't think any of the Predators came to really play a hockey game. Uh, it seemed like they just kind of wanted to run people into the boards. Um, the Rangers game, I thought maybe one of those goals uh, of the three that he was on the ice for, the fourth being the empty netter, I think maybe the third one he should have had. Um, the Islanders game was the first time I've seen him play and, and thought, you know, that's you should expect more from UC Saros. Uh, you know, maybe we've definitely been spoiled um, by how good he was last year. He was, he was basically, he could be used as kind of a backup starter uh, or a one B rather. Um, so, you know, obviously my, my opinion is that the guy's allowed to have a bad night. Um, and, and I don't think the predators reacted well at all um, to anything really on Saturday night with, with the Islanders game. Um, so uh, I guess kind of the the big question on everybody's mind is should should uh, Lindback be called up um, and, and then we we send Saros down and, and let him play a bit in Milwaukee. Um, so, frankly, I'm for that, um, and and that's no criticism of of Saros. I just think he needs to be able to play more. Uh, Corey, is is that kind of what you've been thinking as well? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. You know, you look at that that Rangers game, and and at least two of those goals, he had no chance just because the the defense let him down. Um, and of course, like you mentioned, the Pittsburgh game, they were there to you know almost for a fight and more than for a hockey match, and that's that's fine because they're trying to make a statement against the reigning Stanley Cup champs. But you know, he needs, he doesn't know what he's going to get from the people in front of him. I mean, you saw in that Rangers game, Hayes come around the, the, his, um, come down the ice, come around the right hand side of the goal, just right around Matt Irwin and just, just barely even like breathe. Irwin just barely even breathed on him. He didn't get a, didn't get a body on him at all. And just, uh, Saros was just not in a place to make a, make a save because of that play. So he doesn't know, he's not very confident with what's going on in front of him. So he's shaky in the net. Of course, he doesn't have the best stature for a goalie either. He's a little bit, he's a little bit small compared to some other goalies. But, I, you know, I, I think sending him down to Milwaukee, let him play more. Let him play several games in a row and kind of get on his skates and get his, you know, get the technique down and just kind of feel comfortable again, I think will be very beneficial. And then, you know, even in the preseason, you know, I thought Lindback was just having a better preseason than Soros was anyway. Um so I could see that I could see that change and and it being beneficial for both Soros and for the Predators at this point in time. It may put a little bit more pressure on Rene, who's been playing just uh, just great hockey for him uh, in the net. But I I think it's a good move to send him down to Milwaukee for a bit. Yeah, and, and George, what are your thoughts on on Soros and how he's been so far? Um. Yeah, he's been hung out to dry a couple times, all three games. Uh, just going back, um, 
his team has scored three goals in the three games that he's played. So that's pretty terrible and just in general. Um, and once again, it just kind of comes down to the Predators not being very tight defensively. A lot of these shots and a lot of these goals have come from within five feet of the net front. Uh, also, just against the Islanders, he gave up five power play opportunities and then three power play goals on them. And power play goals, I never usually like to, you know, give the give the blame to a goalie. And I don't think he deserved a, any of the blame from for them. But, uh, yeah, give him, give him away from the team just for a little bit. He doesn't. He doesn't need to to be around this kind of defensive, I guess, mediocrity at this point. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Anders Lambeck is having a great time in the AHL. I have seen him lay goose eggs so many times uh, for so many different teams now that a lot of the people that are saying, well, no, he's 27, he's turned it around, I'm kind of, I don't think so, but... Um, I, I don't know. I the only the issue that I have with this is that there's no normal way to handle this because goalies are not normal, and so at this point, get him away from the team, send him to Milwaukee, let him put him on a conditioning stint where you can play him four games and then kind of re- reevaluate from there. Maybe he needs more time. I I'm a little curious to see what the Predators do once Pecorine starts to come down from his high because I mean we all know it's going to happen, right? Like. Inconsistency is the name of Pecorine. I mean, we even you guys can both shut up. He's going to go forever. (laughs) You can't convince me otherwise. I've (laughs) seen, I've seen 35 years old. I know what happens. (laughs) Yeah. We've we've played this game before. We know how this ends. Um, I don't know. I, again, I'm not goalies aren't my forte and I won't pretend to know what they, how they take or what they are, but Put him in front of a good team in, in the Milwaukee Admirals and just let him ride it out. Remember last year, uh, Jake Allen of the, of the St. Louis Blues was having a really bad start to the season, and they went on a uh, the team went on a road trip. And I remember like or Mike Yo just kind of told him like, "Stay home, just don't don't yeah, come yeah, for like, these two games." Really odd, yeah, that was an odd sequence of events for sure. Yeah, it was like he didn't play a game or he wasn't on the bench for like four games, and all of a sudden he came back, and now he's the Jake Allen that we know. So who knows? Maybe he just needs to sit a while. Maybe he just needs to kind of <laughs> get away from this defense for a little bit. I don't know. I have one of my. I also have a theory that he might be nursing something. That's just not. It's not big enough to keep him out of games, but it's not. And it's not small enough that it doesn't affect his playing. Who knows? It, it could be anything with goalies. I think perhaps he should move back into Pecorino's house and get some of that cooking, cooking that going. <laughs> Maybe he's eating he's eating the college student diet and it's not working out for him. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of overreaction, I think, to the to the UC Soros question. Um, obviously, Twitter is is a mixed bag of things, but I just it's hard to read the uh, send Soros or you know cut Soros or. He's not the goalie of the future. I mean, that's ridiculous, guys. There's just no other way to put it. That's just a ridiculous Mm -hmm. overreaction. Uh, Saros will be fine. I do think uh, I I saw some I am ashamed. I don't remember who actually put this out there because I want to give him credit. But someone pointed out that it's uh, Saros third uh, pro season. um, And in uh, in Rene's third pro season, he played 65 games with the Milwaukee Admirals. Right. Uh, So, frankly, I, I think it, it's not going to be at all bad for Saros' development if if he plays a uh, sort of uh, you know maybe even fifty percent of his games this year in, in Milwaukee. I think will be a huge uh, help for him. Um, just sort of looking ahead to the the upcoming week, the Predators have the the dreaded uh, California road trip, um, taking on San Jose, Anaheim, and Los Angeles. Um, this uh, the team had this this challenge much earlier in the season last year. I think they maybe had one home game before hitting the road, and it did not go well. Um, I think maybe they had five games out kind of on the out west, and maybe one a single. I think they beat Colorado. That was the only team, but you know everybody beat Colorado last year. Uh, this year, hopefully, you know, obviously we've seen some inconsistency, but, you know, maybe it's good that they've had, had some more games under their belt. Um, I guess we can start with the Sharks game. Uh, San Jose has, has been the worst of the three teams that, that the Preds will be up against. Um, and and 
George, I think you uh, you disclosed that you're working on the pregame uh, article for this, so maybe you can uh, let us in on a, on a few tips about this this upcoming San Jose game on Wednesday. Oh, I'm actually just writing a article on this because I've I've liked to write about the Sharks whenever I get a chance to. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, this game is going to be interesting. It's a very stoppable force meeting a very movable object. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, First off, this is going to be this is a, this was a good time to move Arvidsson down to the second line because the Jofa line is going to be hard lined or hard matched by uh, by Mark Edward Vlasic and Justin Braun, who are two of the better. Well, Justin Braun's a a very good defensive defenseman, but Mark Edward Vlasic is probably the best defensive defenseman um, for probably of the generation. I'd say he just in pure in terms of pure defensive defenseman, he's incredible. He shut down McDavid in the playoffs last year. He shut down Sidney Crosby in the Stanley Cup final last year. Or not last year, but the year before that. He shut down. Uh, he held Vladimir Tarasenko to like one point in six games. He held, I forget who, I think, I forget who he was when the, uh, when the, when the Predators played him in the playoffs like two years ago. I forget who they, who their top line was, but I remember that Vlasic held them to like that collective line to like three points in seven games. The, the guy's incredible. I like to call players like him erasers because whatever mistake a, a teammate makes, they just erase that mistake in, to, in general. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I really like Matias Ekholm too is because I see a lot of similarities in that play style. Granted, uh, Ekholm probably has a little bit more offensive upside and is probably not as defensively solid as Vlasic, but still, like he's, he corrects a lot of mistakes and that's why Sam Gerrard was playing with Ekholm to start the season. Um, so I'm really curious to see how Philip Forsberg and, um, and Ryan Johansson face off against uh, Vlasic. Then you have the then then you have the kind of the rest of the roster where you ha- or for the Sharks where you have like Joe Thornton on the top line and you have Mar- uh, Joe Pavelski and this is a very very slow team and it's very weird to watch them because it just feels like the game's grinding to a halt. But that's what they do best as a team is they just grind games down and make you hate yourself for watching them. And wow. yeah, in, in the past, they've been <laughs> looking forward to this one. In the past, they've been yes, playing. please tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> just I, I just go through the roster on Natural Stat Trick or Corsica or wherever, and you'll see that only two players on the roster or three players on the roster have uh, have below average uh, possession stats. This team owns the puck when they're on the ice. It's the it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. They just don't always do a good job of turning it into goals. And since they always own the puck, it's hard for, you know, I guess other fans to watch them because their teams just aren't owning the puck as much. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little curious uh, to see how Kevin Fiala does up against Vlasic, too, just because that could be a really that could be a really tough matchup for the young kid. And then uh, the third and fourth lines are I expect Colton Sisson's line uh, fourth line to get a lot of favorable matchups against like Tim Heat or whoever else is now on that third pairing for the Sharks. Uh oh, and before I before I forget, um Martin Jones is going through a pretty big slump, so this could be the this could be a game where the Predators do light it up, so who knows? Right. And it it could go either way. I mean, are there two teams I guess I, I hate to ask this question, but are there two teams more similar in the league right now than the Predators and the Sharks, because if you look at all the stats, they're about the same on penalty kill. They're about the same on power play. They even give up, like most of their goals are done on power play opportunities. Um, The thing I don't trust about, and I hate to say this, the thing I don't trust about the Sharks is that they play better on the road than they do at home. Right now, they're I think their overall record is five and five. They're two and three at home. They're three and two on the road. Well, and of those wins, you know, they, they beat the Buffalo Sabres twice. They beat the New York, New York Rangers and the Montreal Canadiens. But they also have a road win against the New Jersey Devils of, of a 3-0 shutout at, at, in New Jersey, which is kind of odd when you think the Devils are one of the top teams in the East right now. But they've only played one team out of the West, and that was Los Angeles on the road, and they lost that game. So I'm kind of concerned about which you don't know what you're going to get from the Sharks. Could they be really good at home or are they going to be, you know, and even the record at home or are they going to be the team that just kind of lays another egg like they've done a few other times? Um, You know, they're 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 a very similar team to the Predators and how they win their games. 
their Corsi stats are just phenomenal. I mean, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, they're they're fourth in the league right now in overall Corsi of uh, in uh, five on five situations of a fifty three point eight. You know, that's just a couple spots above the Predators. So, you know, it could be a really really good matchup. And like you said, that top offensive the forward line with the the defensive line of the Sharks that could be a matchup to watch. I think certainly the most winnable of these three games. Uh, the next next matchup will be against uh, the Anaheim Ducks, who are uh, so far um, sort of underperforming uh, based on where I had them. That said, I think their their defense has just been ravaged with injuries. Um, and and I think this, to be honest, even though the Kings are playing very well, I, I still tend to think that this Ducks game might be the, tough, the toughest for the Preds. Um, but I may be wrong. Uh, you know, George, what do you think about this this Ducks team that they're going to be facing off facing off against? Well, I don't actually know if it's going to be the Ducks or their or their AHL affiliate, the San Diego Goals, because they've just right. been yeah. so injured. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm actually taking a look at their injuries right now. Um, I remember Getzloff was injured for quite a while. Corey Perry was injured for a little bit. I feel like um, then I think Ryan Kessler's still injured. I remember they just got Hampus Lindholm back. And that was a very big deal because he's their number one defenseman, and he's absolutely incredible. And then uh, Sammy Vatnin, I think, is coming back soon. All right, cool. So, yeah, I pulled it up. Uh, Ryan Ketslav is has a face injury uh-huh, in his day-to-day as of yesterday. Kevin Bieksa is on the IR with a hand injury, face which injury. he actually uh, he got from a fight. That's what it says. I don't know if you guys saw that Superman punch that he threw, but apparently it broke his hand. Um, then there's Cam Fowler, who has... Uh, who's been in the IR for the last 10 days now. So he should be coming back soon, I guess. I don't. It doesn't say what he's injured with. Uh, yeah, last and, I read it says Fowler's uh, on injury reserve and will miss four to eight weeks. Oh, wow. Okay, so he's not coming back anytime soon. <laughs> um, and then Patrick Eves has that, uh, has that illness or that disease, and that's going to keep him out for a little while. I can't remember what it was at the moment. Um, and then Ryan Kessler is out for a while because he had hip surgery within the last month. So yeah, this is a line. This is a team that could very well easily miss be missing their top two centers, as well as one of their top three defensemen and a top six winger and a bottom three winger or bottom three defenseman. So I don't know. Um, it depends. Does Ryan Miller or uh, you know uh, Gibson play? Because if Gibson plays, I think I probably might actually. I'd say it's going to be a much tougher game. But if uh, Miller's playing, hey, anything can happen. As we saw. Uh, the Predators have very good luck against Anaheim Ducks uh, backup goalies. Yeah, and there's certainly going to be some. I w- it's hard to imagine. Well, I say that there'd be some leftover bad blood from the, the playoff series, but as we've been discussing, it may not even be the same Ducks team uh, out on the ice with all the injuries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just there's something about about the the Ducks in Anaheim. It just kind of it makes me gives me a little bit of pause for this game. Like you mentioned, if if it is Gibson and Nett, that really does change things. Um, I think he's he's has the potential to really be one of the top, you know, two or three goaltenders in the league this year. And um, yeah, it, it certainly would be nice for the Predators if they they didn't have to risk going up against that. Um, yeah, but again, even with maybe the potential of, of their opponent missing uh, their top two centers, I think the Preds might have a tough game uh, in Anaheim. Um, and I, I honestly, I hope that the shark, we, they just beat up on the sharks and maybe can carry a little bit of that, uh, uh, momentum over into the next game as well. Um, and then finally is, is the, the final game in California is against Los Angeles, who, uh, as, as Corey mentioned earlier, is pretty much the hottest team in the West at this point. Um, all those, uh, aside from your uh, Vegas second, Golden Knights, yes, of course. Second, yes. The second hottest <laughs> Sorry. The Knights lost tonight though, to the. Uh, the the New York Islanders have put up twelve games in two, or twelve goals in two games, uh, as we all expected, right? Uh, uh, anyhow, the uh, the Los Angeles Kings, yeah, they were really for me the big surprise of this year. I I didn't see any reason that the Kings should be substantially better than they were last year, um, and they obviously uh, uh, were not very competitive last year, but uh, they seem to really have figured it out at least for the time being. And um, yeah, the the Preds will have uh, another tough matchup there in Los Angeles. Um, Corey, you, you seem to be pretty hot on, on the Kings. What do you think about this matchup? Well, the good thing is we don't play in the um, Eastern conference as the, uh, uh, 
as the Kings are like eight and one, I think against the Eastern conference this year, let me see if I can remember what that was. Yeah. They're eight and one against the East so far. They're one Oh and one against the Western conference. So we've got a chance. You're saying there's a chance we play in the yeah. West. <laughs> there, there's a chance that we could maybe come out with a tie, but no, they, I mean, they just, you know, they're, they've only given up 20 goals in the season. Uh, coming into today, that was uh, second lowest uh, in the league with only the the Knights giving up less. Of course, the Knights played tonight, so that I'm sure that's going to change. But only giving up 20 goals in 11 games, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. That's you know, under two goals a game is is, is always a nice average to have, especially when you're scoring about three or four goals a game. So you know. Can we beat them at home? Yeah, we can. Uh, they're four and zero at home, though. So I mean, it's they're they're just playing, they're playing really really well. Now, has their competition been great? <laughs> they played the Flyers. They beat up on on uh, on uh, Arizona, so they haven't played as much competition as some other teams have. But so if you want to look at it, like they played, yeah, they played the Sharks at home. They beat up on the on the Sabers, the Canadians. Uh, they took a loss. One of the losses was against the Maple Leaves, and they're playing the Maple Leaves again um, on uh, two nights before the Predators come in town. So uh, we could get we could catch a break. We could be uh, after a, a tough loss. They may maybe they get beat up enough uh, against the Maple Leaves that uh, it's an easier game for us. I don't see that happening though. They could be really mad after another loss and want to take it out on us. So it, I mean, I don't. I would like to see us get a point out of this game, but I wouldn't be shocked if we came away with a shutout. If we were shut out, I should say. <laughs> if, yeah, right. If you want to see how bad the Predators' defense c- could actually be, just wait till they play the Tampa Bay Lightning or Toronto Maple Leafs. Holy smokes! I've had a very vested interest in both those teams recently, uh, and I—it's such fun hockey just to watch Mitch Marner skate around with the puck all game, or watch Austin Matthews score. Just see Steven Stamkos do a full one eighty and just become a playmaker. <laughs> to uh, to Nikita Kucherov, oh that I feel bad for. I mean, you might as well just put pylons out there instead of Yannick Weber. Just you know, her matter or whoever. It's it's just going to be. <laughs> it all comes back to all comes back to insulting Yannick. <laughs> God, I don't like that guy. Um, no, I'm sure I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure he's he's an awesome person. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This Kings game is going to be weird. Uh, you know, I, I don't know much about their advanced stats. I mean, I'm sure that they're still controlling the puck really well. I don't necessarily, I mean, well, what hell comes back to me is how fast is every other team in the NHL going to be uh, hiring a offensive coordinator now, now, now that the Kings are doing this well. Right. Yeah. The copycat league will, will surely obey the success of the Kings. Yeah. The, the Kings are 51 course at five on five, 51 Fenwick five on five, um, generating good shots, I mean, it's like the same old Kings team. 26 goals, which is pretty good, uh, but they're only giving up 15 goals, which is like, which I feel like is pretty low. Yeah, that's tied for lowest in the league. Like, yeah, this team is doing very well for itself. Um, let's see what their PDO Oh, their PDO is a little high. They have a normal shooting percentage, but their save percentage is like a 94.2. So they're rocking a 103% uh, PDO. That'll probably drop soon. Yeah, I mean that that hasn't surprised me as before the season. I knew that this team is is going to live and die by John Quick, and and that's pretty much been what we've seen. Um, but with a team like the Predators, who have had trouble getting offense generating at all, uh, that's not not necessarily a favorable matchup to be going into L.A. when they've been shutting down teams so well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it's a weird. It's it's. It's hard to predict really how this is going to turn out. It could be I, I can see the Predators taking two points out of all all three games. I can see them even you know maybe getting five or six depending on on you know kind of which Predators team shows up to play. Which uh, you know who knows? There's there's so far there's no real scientific method to figuring out which Predators team you're going to have every night. So I've kind of <laughs> right. given up trying. The the only thing that I, that gives me any hesitation is that we're playing three of the top seven teams when it comes to penalty kill. And we've already talked about how a majority of the goals for the Predators have come in on the power play. So when you're facing, you know, the Kings with a, a almost a 93 percent penalty kill, Sharks at almost 89 percent, and then the uh, Ducks at an 86 percent. I mean, you're talking three really good penalty kill teams there. So it could be really, really tough for if if they don't get anything going five on five, we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great test, and I I remember last year it was uh, 
I think maybe in February the Preds had a had a nice long road trip, and they that was sort of the the moment that turned their season around. They had a really good uh, road trip. I think it was kind of the Western Canada thing, and then they ended up with a big win in Minnesota. Um, so this this is sort of it seems like it has that potential as well with the Predators being sort of up against it statistically, and maybe we'd be expecting them to get shut down uh, quite a bit more than than they're used to, but. If they can kind of fight that off and and really have a successful road trip, then that might, you know, really light a fire on this team and, and get the offensive production going that we've all been kind of waiting for. Yeah, and and, and you um, might- the, the you know the the worst thing is having to stay up till nine thirty three nights uh, to watch these these hockey games. They were really it's it's me as a fan that people should be concerned about. I think you're young, you can get over it. You're you don't have <laughs> little ones that are waking you up at six o'clock in the morning because they want something to eat. So there you go. You're going to be fine. Uh-huh. I do have dogs that like to eat in the morning, so that's pretty much the same. <laughs> wow, I'm just going to let that one go right there. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I guess we should take some comfort in the fact that. Going into this type of road trip, the, the, the last year, it was uh, October 26th where the Predators went to Anaheim, then then to Los Angeles, then San Jose, Colorado, and Arizona. Uh, that's kind of their first little swing on the West Coast, and they only had two wins going into it. They came out with a third win, but they're, they're in better shape now in some ways than they were at this point last year. At least let me believe that. Just looking at things, let me believe it. <laughs> no, I think I don't think you're wrong. I think the definitely the potential that this team has is, is greater than it was last year. Um, they really just need to figure out really often. I mean, it's just got to be five-on-five five offense. That's that's really been the, the issue this season. Um, this will be a very difficult test of that. So, uh It'll it'll separate the the men from the boys, as they say. I'm just afraid that that won't turn out well for us. But <laughs> you never know. Uh, we better uh, start wrapping up here. We're, we're gonna run these people a little late. But uh, um, thank you both for joining, uh, getting together, and doing this. Uh, like I said, this is this should be a weekly thing. I think uh, we're gonna shoot to do these maybe on Sunday nights uh, as opposed to Monday nights. So uh, look for that kind of the start of every week. We'll have one of these. Uh, episodes out and just kind of break down what we've seen in the past week and, and what you can expect in the future um i'll let you guys uh george why don't you start us off and, and plug your uh, your social media presence so we can make sure to find all of your great opinions online oh great opinions uh no yeah you can uh, find me on twitter george m 1019 the g and the m are capitalized uh i write for the proud lines hockey blog and you can find me on my other podcast uh <laughs> Between the or between the pipes podcast uh, with my other uh, podcasting husband Michael Wade, uh, it's time. <laughs> <Don't let's go. laughs> yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> and Corey, what about you? Um, my stuff's pretty simple. Uh, you go to at uh, J Corey Francis uh, on Twitter. You can find me there to let me know that my articles and opinions are trash because that's what people like to say on Twitter. <laughs> Um, uh, you can also find me. It's a mix. Yeah, well, I know it's, it's fun. Uh, you also, I also have my own uh, website where I talk about uh, mostly music and music education things, but, uh, uh, com. Uh, you can find some stuff there on me as well. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where, uh, where I am found online. As for me, uh, thanks to Justin Bradford, if you're listening to this, I did change my Twitter handle because you uh, were confused by it. I'd still Wade M1994, but I have capitalized the M as to make it not Wade M1994. Uh, so thanks for calling out that, that confusion. So yes, Twitter at Wade M1994. And then obviously uh, you can find me on pridelines.com. Uh, I tend to write kind of the, the analytics recaps if uh, you're a nerd like me and you're into that kind of thing. I'd encourage you to check those out and then you can come tell me that you don't like my opinions either and we can we can all be in the same boat <laughs> uh, aside from that uh thank you very much for joining us and uh we look forward to having you back next week see you guys see you